Hello, welcome to Hattrick. I am Jordan Dollar Coltman. Joined by Braden Dollar Coltman, who is in California, and Elliot is unable to be with us. Happy New Year, Braden. How are you? Good. Happy New Year. Um, lots, lots already happening. Twenty twenty three. Sporting yes. world. Yes. Yes. Uh, lots is happening. Lots has happened. We'll talk about uh, the last week or so in uh, the first week of January. We've got lots going on. NFL playoffs about to get started. Obviously, busy weekend in that. Um, Lots to talk about. We'll get to all of those things in a moment. Before we do, quickly here, uh, let's just take a moment to acknowledge our presenting sponsor this week. This week, we are presented by BetStamp. BetStamp is your one-stop shop for line shopping, bet tracking, and sports betting odds. You would never go to the first with the first price you find when looking for flight. So why would you settle for the first odds when you are betting? BetStamp changes all of that. They have a streamlined and easy-to-use app that allows you to find a wide spectrum of odds for any bet. Then, they make it easy for you to track your bets all in one place. You can set alerts in case the line changes, and you can learn what bets your friends and even some celebrity bettors are making. You can download the BetStamp app now for free, and when you sign up, please use the code ORDINARY so that they know we sent you. To always get the best value when you are betting, choose BetStamp. All right, let's get to it. Here's topic one. Okay, Braden. So obviously, uh, as you sort of already alluded to, a lot has already happened here in, to, in 2023. Uh, we were off last week for the new year, but we already have had a lot of uh, drama, a lot of storylines uh, on and off the field, the biggest of which took place Last Monday, Monday night football, uh, only a few moments into the football game between the Buffalo Bills and the Cincinnati Bengals, a very dramatic um, event occurring on the field. What was described and I think has continued to be described as a very innocuous sort of standard football play resulting in a very un. Um, comfortable and, and difficult situation. DeMar Hamlin uh, making a tackle. Uh, for the Buffalo Bills, he were, sort of stepped away from the tackle moments later, found himself laying down on the field, and very quickly uh, it became clear that not, this was not a normal football play. CPR performed, uh, an AED uh, brought out life-saving procedures uh, by the training staff beginning, and it became very, very clear and very, very uncomfortable, I think, for a lot of people watching, obviously, network cutting away as they often do from injuries to commercials. And then they cut to a lot of commercials, which also in retrospect feels a bit uncomfortable. We'll talk about that in a second, but it became clear, very, very clear. whether you were watching the game or I know in our case, we were watching hockey. Uh, and when we got to the end of our game and, and the, you know, sports center came on and they led with this very somber, very kind of uncomfortable, uh, almost like you, you get on like when a news cast cuts in to tell you the queen has died or, or JFK was shot. It's sort of like, we know people are interested in what's going on in this other thing. We will address it shortly. We don't have enough information. It's like, what is going on? But obviously now that we are a week away, we know the story. He, he was transported to hospital. They were able to recover a pulse, but for a long time, he was unable to breathe on his own, obviously into intensive care. Um, amazing medical, um, you know, treatment, and he was able to slowly but steadily improve. The game was not continued. That's a storyline we'll talk about in a second as well. And eventually it was canceled outright. Um, very difficult for the players on the field. I think very difficult uh, overall. But for, for where I wanted to start with is it, 
this highlights sort of both the monoculture I think that exists within the the scale and the size of the NFL and the idea that this moment, this event sort of became the event in America, the event in sort of sports that night, everyone was talking about it. Everyone was aware of it, you know, uh, bigger than sort of viral moment. It was the moment. Everyone was aware of it. It was all we were talking about. It was bigger than football. Um, but because it was football, I think it, 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 it got the platform. It did. Obviously this isn't the first time we've had a player, severely injured or nearly dying on a field. We've, we've seen it in hockey recently. I think of Jay Bowmeister, who obviously also had to have life-saving treatment on the bench after collapsing. I was ending his career. Um, we've seen it in motorsport. We've seen it in other places, but obviously this was a moment that was shocking and surprising. Uh, I know where you were when you found this out, but as the week progressed, um, how did you kind of process or, or, or go through all of this? And what were your impressions of how the whole situation unf- unfurled? Yeah, I came to it late. Obviously, I was uh, on my way home. You had texted me saying, hey, did you see what happened here? Uh, So I I tuned in at the moment when everything was kind of at uh, at a standstill. Uh, I'm always fascinated with sporting injuries because they're they're always quite they're either, you know, routine or very shocking. And this was kind of an in-between moment of, you know, the guy's arm or leg didn't twist the other way or um it, it was a very routine thing that happened. And then all of a sudden there was a moment of um, uncertainty of, of what, what was happening. And I think that that was what was fascinating to watch uh, from the players on the field was the response that the trauma they were enduring by watching all of a sudden teammates starting to panic and then, you know, performing life-saving uh, maneuvers. It, it, it was shocking. I think, uh, the, the biggest thing was just watching the shock from what was happening. No one, I mean, this was, this is a packed crowd. There were, there were playoff implications in the game. It was early on. Uh, there was so much of just what, what's going on. And I think that, you know, the, the aftermath of what are they going to do? Are they going to start the game again in five minutes? You know, is this guy going to be okay? Where's his family? So many questions started to arise and nothing could really be answered until, we knew if he was going to be okay. And that obviously didn't happen for uh, a few days. Fortunately, gratefully, he was able to get to a place of, you know, breathing on his own again and, and um, you know, his faculties in, in check for the most part, obviously there are some uh, ramifications physically that he, that he's having to recover from, um, you know, but, but, anything of the severity, like a cardiac arrest, it's so, so significant on the body that we, I mean, who knows that we're just, I mean, yeah, grateful that he's, that he's alive and that he's um, recovering. Yes. And obviously that is the most important thing. We're talking about an individual who, who suffered a heart attack on, on, on a field at work uh, doing what he, you know, loves to do, but also it's his job. Um, so a very serious moment in, in all of those situations. I, I was fascinated in two parts, one by kind of the immediate, um, I don't know, like not the protocols, but the way in which the entire event unfolded, the way that the situation was handled it, by all involved, the broadcaster being ESPN and, you know, your, your, 
you're broadcasting a sporting event, which has its own sort of like set of codes and rules and language and, and, and all of these things. There's an expectation from your audience about what that looks like and feels like and sounds like. And very quickly, it shifts from being a live sporting event to being like a live news story. And you're now covering an event that is bigger than just a game that is outside of just the game, the same way, you know, CNN or something might cut to like a bank robbery or to some kind of serious crime unfolding live. It felt very quickly, like all of the sideline reporters, everyone in the building had to kind of take a step back from football uh, from all the prep and preparation they would have done for their broadcast about what was going to happen on the field. And now all of a sudden they were becoming reporters Um watching this thing unfold and not having information to like at all really kind of just winging it. Um, and both, I think in some ways they were successful in doing that. And I think it also exposed some of the, not, not necessarily lack of preparedness because how could you prepare for it? But at the same time, how could you not prepare for it? How, how does no one ready for something like this kind of thing to happen at some point or other when you're dealing with the level of, you know, physicality that exists in the sport of football, something bad's going to happen. As you, as you mentioned, you know, we've seen injuries where like it's grotesque or it's very unpleasant. Yeah. Obviously the player's yeah. life might not be in danger, but you know, their leg could be broken three different ways or they've, they've suffered a really, we, I mean, earlier in the season with Tua Tungvaloa and the serious concussion, concussion it was yeah. clear his life in that moment may not have been in danger, but clearly he was in serious physical distress and so there were you know there are sort of codes and, and practices to, to deal with that situation this felt very uncharted um and i was fascinated but by it that. is it is unprecedented i mean we have had like you said a few incidents in sporting history where someone who has either had a heart attack or um fainted or you know been in a serious been in a like in a thing where we don't know exactly what's happening with the person and and I don't think that that's, I don't think that we, I don't think that we know what to do because it doesn't happen very often. Yeah. And so that would go to my second point, which is as much as I was fascinated by how the, the broadcast dealt with it. And as you say, they may not be ready for it. We do, we do see it in other sports. For example, like, you know, we both follow F1. We have an F1 podcast. When you watch Formula One, there are often crashes, um, just as there are in NASCAR and any other auto sports. And there's very clear sort of broadcast protocols now as to how they deal with it. The minute it's a serious enough crash that it's obvious that someone may or may not be injured, but it isn't, you know, it, the, the driver isn't immediately jumping out of the car. They, they cut yeah. away. They don't go back. Well, yeah. medical attendants are getting there. They don't, they don't, they do not show the aftermath of an incident until they're clear of what the outcome is. Uh, sure. And that obviously is it's the, the same here. reason they, they don't show streakers on, on sporting events either. They'll cut away. They don't, they don't want to film what they don't know what's going to happen. Right. And also I don't think they want to give the attention to the streaker, but in this situation, you're right. They <laughs> or don't... this, or this person who's in a, you know, very vulnerable. Yes. They're trying to be, position. they're trying to, they're trying to be as respectful as they can, because obviously we have history. I mean, uh, thinking back to like when Art and Senna died in Formula One and they, sure, sure. I mean, the international broadcast replayed the crash about 40 times. You got a lot of criticism for it in this situation. Very quickly, it was clear someone is not in a good way and they tried yeah. to avoid dealing with it. 
the the part I think I was trying I'd like to also talk about is the response after by the NFL and the 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 physical apparatus of the league and and I think this exposed both a lack of preparedness and equally like a lack of communication preparation preparation for this kind of event. And obviously you're right. You can't plan for every single situation, but it's surprising to me that there isn't a game plan for when something bad like this happens, knowing that you've had close calls, you've had serious injuries. There isn't a, a, a way to respond as you, as you mentioned, what, what, it was very, what are you unclean. referring to exactly? Well, what I'm, so for example, all we knew you had, you have however million people watching yeah. live on TV, watching Monday yeah. night football. It's the only game on basically when everything paused. Yeah, but I'm saying, you know, whoever's watching Monday Night Football is expecting a specific thing. And now all of a sudden it's become something different. And at the same time, you also have, I don't know, 40,000, 50,000 people in the stands, a very big stadium there in Cincinnati. And both for both the live audience who then just stood there for close to two hours waiting to find out whether the game would be, you know, um, resumed or what would happen. And the audience watching on television, who's now all of a sudden watching a live news event occur, there was a real disconnect of communication. I felt, and I think a lot of people have been critical of the NFL's response in terms of how, how do we go forward? So obviously what, what occurred was Joe Buck, the, the commentator, announced well the players have been told that will resume in five minutes by the nfl they have five minutes to warm up and at that point what you were hearing and what you were seeing were two completely different things so apparently the nfl had said we're going to carry on like we do after every major injury and we'll just you know status quo and yet you're watching the players on mass both teams leave the field that's out of the ordinary that's not normal that's not what we've grown and learned as like the vocabulary of how a football injury is dealt with so this is different obviously. Uh, and then later the NFL comes out and says, no, we were never going to resume or we were leaving it to the players. It's like all of that war room planning or strategy or communication was just so bungled. I felt in the response to it. And in everyone is obviously trying first and foremost to ensure that they don't say or do the wrong thing. If someone is about to die. Right. I get that. And in that oh, moment, sure. it really did feel like we were on the razor's edge of what could have been a catastrophic situation. Luckily, hindsight we're a week away almost now and we know that he is for the most part certainly alive and certainly going to yeah you know going to survive this what the long-term ramifications are we don't know but it's fascinating because it's a case study in both preparedness for the organization of the nfl and also in terms of the communication part of it they left their broadcaster kind of out to dry they didn't clearly give them as up-to-date or as quick information as they should have or could have perhaps, or maybe they couldn't have. I mean, that's, I think what's fascinating. Well, is, I think that's, my, watching that's it on, the argument you know. is how, how do they, right? Their focus at that moment is how do we help make sure that this person is alive and, and it has the treatment and the care that he needs and then to be able to pass on the communication. So those, like you said, I, I guess they were left out to dry, but at the same time, they, they have a responsibility to be able to hold on and, and hold on to what we know right now. And, when I tuned in, that, that is what I was experiencing. This is what we know right now. We'll show you, you know, we'll talk about the play. We'll talk about the event because it did happen in a game, um, you know, context. But we're not going to run the the horror of what happened over and over again, but we're going to continue to talk about it. And, and I mean, we're not going to make any conclusions whether or not we talk to all the experts in the medical field or all the, the people who know this or can tell a sign of this, 
we're going to tell you what we know right now. And when we know more, we will continue to share that. And I think that um, I just, it's so unprecedented. So in terms of doing it right, doing it differently, how do they? Yeah. I guess my only thing is it's like, I don't, I don't believe it was as unprecedented as they, I I feel like that's kind of an excuse. I've never, I feel like they I've could have been more prepared for this situation. A game like this. No, I agree with that. Take a guy but, off, not know if he's going to live. But at no point in any meeting in the NFL about how they're going to respond to such and such crisis have they never done crisis planning? Like that's ridiculous. This is the NFL. Sure. You know what I mean? And like, what if I, this was the crisis planning? then I would say that they should probably review this plan moving forward because it could have, it was lacking in a lot of ways is what I guess I would say. But, you know, again, as uh, you say, you know, maybe the best laid plans, uh, you still have to execute them and everything kind of has to line up and it's a very fluid and very fast moving thing. Let's, let's leave the, 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 the initial part of it. Obviously, as we, we've already mentioned throughout the course of the week, the news got better and better. And um, we, we find ourselves here on Sunday. They did not uh, resume that game. They, they've now got this kind of, somewhat complicated process for how the playoffs are implications of that game, which would have determined the first place in, in, in the division. Uh, but uh, regardless, we have the bills returning to the field Sunday night here, January 8th. This is when we're recording it tonight. They returned to the field and it was obviously very emotional for them. Very difficult for them. They were in front of home fans, obviously a tribute ahead of time. And he actually sent a video message apparently to the team uh, stating, you know, he was watching, he had communicated with them. Um, uh, and the very, I don't know if you saw this tonight, you probably didn't cause you were, uh, sightseeing in LA, but the opening play of that football game, the New York 96 the, yard uh, touchback on the, on the opening kickoff. So just a very emotional, very magical moment there in Buffalo. And then they go on to win the football game and eliminate the Patriots. So obviously, you know, it's difficult not to be romantic about sports when you have a moment like that, where there's so much additional, uh, you know, this, the stakes were already so high for that team, that organization, that city, after a very raw and very rough emotional week, they get a big win. And, and I think that that's a lovely cap off to how that week had played out. So yeah. um, uh, I'll leave, I'll leave our listeners with this. If you didn't catch it already, the, apparently the first things he had asked the doctors when he gained consciousness, he wrote it because he wasn't able to speak yet. He still had the um, tube tube for breathing. Of course, as we said, he's that's since He's since been able to breathe on his own, which is great news. But he asked who won the, f- the football game. That was like his first question to which the uh, cardiologist that was working there said, uh, you did, you won the game of life. So uh, obviously nice to be a week away and know that, as I say, um, he survived. It was very touch and go and very scary for a few days last week, but um, great, you know, the beginning of a hard road, I'm sure to recovery, full recovery for him. But Good news knowing that he is awake, he is alive, he is alert, breathing on his own, moving on the right in the right way. And uh, we wish him and, and his family all the best after what has been a difficult week. That is topic one. Hey, if you're a fan of Hattrick Sports, then I promise you, you are going to love the Backyard Basketball Podcast. Hattrick's very own Braden Dollar Coltman sits down every Wednesday with his best bud, Christian Steck. And together, they break down all the news, rumors, transactions from around the basketball world. Whether it's the NBA or college hoops, these two guys love talking basketball, and you are going to love listening every Wednesday on the Backyard Basketball Podcast. Okay, topic two. I feel like we're we're covering events that have already taken place because they that's kind of what we have to do. We've missed so much time here. 
we got to go back. Let's talk about the World Juniors. Obviously, an interesting event in the last couple of years based on all of the other storylines surrounding Hockey Canada, uh, and not to mention last year's event that was already somewhat marred by the revelations uh, surrounding the sexual assault allegations and uh, and all of the sort of fallout um, that that Hockey Canada and 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 uh, has been going through. But last year they also were canceled due to COVID. Had to reschedule and play in August. So. We had uh, the Christmas tournament back um, and it was the first time that it felt, you know, not that it felt normal um, per se, but it definitely felt like there were some steps moving forward. Canada, Hockey Canada has a new board. There's obviously a lot of pressure to continue to make sure that answers to the big questions are there. And this is that, you know, time of year when people kind of pay attention to to Hockey Canada and to international hockey because the World Juniors is such a fixture of the holiday season. One player standing out above all else, setting records, just rewriting everything. How, like, when you've, you've watched this tournament, you've watched young players come yeah. up, you, you know, you've seen, I know, you, you know, draft time comes around every year for the NHL. You're one of those people who looks at scouting reports and looks at the list and tries to figure out who you want your team to draft and whatnot. But, like, when you think about the circus that is following Connor Bedard around, like is is this the same scale, the same level as like a guy like Connor McDavid, or is it even like does it feel a little bigger in some ways? Like he is I have no, special. I have no idea. Yeah, he's really good. I, I don't know though. It's it's the last few years it's been an interesting thing to watch who translates, you know, because there's some guys who are special. You think about like Trevor Zegris or you think about um, Austin Matthews, uh, guys who, guys who are turning into absolute superstars in the NHL. I'm not mentioning Connor McDavid because I do think that's a, a completely different level. And Connor wasn't even that, you know, spectacular in the world juniors. Uh, but it translate, it translated really, really well in the NHL. I have a feeling Connor Bedard won't have a problem um, <laughs> moving forward. I mean, his first game back tonight, I think, in the juniors, he he had a hat trick and two assists. Like the guy scores at a clip, and he knows how to shoot that puck. So I, it's special. It's really special. It makes me think back to um, John Tavares, though. John Tavares, watching John Tavares in the World Juniors was like the absolute sensation. Um, Whatever, whatever he had in terms of space, uh, control, ability, it was tenfold in the juniors. So it's, it's really special. It's fun. Like you said, with all of the other storylines, it's, it's helpful and a good thing for hockey as a sport to kind of be at a level like that to um, assist Hockey Canada as it, as it moves through some of that darkness that it's experienced. But um and a back-to-back gold, I think that's also a really great thing for the organization, helpful, helpful moving forward. So fun, fun, fun too. Like Halifax, Moncton was a great place for it. It was, you know, really good communities, and and they hosted a great tournament. So Connor Bedard now holds Canada's record for all-time goal leader in that tournament with fifteen, all-time points leader with thirty-two, and all-time single tournament points leader with 19. So he has dominated 
both of the two tournaments he's been a part of, but, but this tournament was just, I mean, it was special in a whole different level. Uh, I mean, the, 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 the comparisons obviously are difficult, as you say, when you look to like NHL level players, but we're talking about a guy who in seven games had 23 points, seven games. What does that say about his teammates? <laughs> if it he says actually that just they are that nowhere good, near what they, he is. Yeah. The, well, the truth is, they also played well. I mean, there was a lot of guys yeah. on that team who who yeah. were also really, really great. But I feel like Connor Bedard is capable. Like the the thing that is always said about Connor McDavid is that he may not be the greatest scorer or the greatest playmaker whatever but he's the most like technologically advanced he's the most like the way he thinks the game the speed at which he thinks the game and the speed at which he plays the game is far and above anybody who's come before him and i think that if if we think like Connor mcdavid's got like a supercomputer in his brain and he's able to translate that at the speed at which he does like Connor bedard is is the closest I have seen to a player like that in terms of he computes the game so quickly. The difference is his shot is also elite, like in a different way than Connor McDavid. Yeah. Like like yeah. Bedard has like a Stamco style sniping ability on top of being able to dangle and on top of being able to make unbelievably complicated passes through four different people right on the tape to a teammate. Like he just sees the game at a different level. And I'm very excited to see what he does. If I was any team right now that is struggling, I would be selling the farm. No, stop with this tanking business. I'm so sick of hearing about tanking in sports. Get out of here. Get out of here. It doesn't make like, this is, this is, this is the next generation, (laughs) right? You want this guy. He is the, this kid will turn a team into a contender just by being there. He's capable of that kind of thing. So what Chicago is going to get him? Chicago, Arizona. And if I, I mean, I've said it all all summer, Vancouver should sell the farm. Like they should be dropping every single player, but they won't. Um, I just wanted to quickly mention two, two other storylines from the world junior that I thought were really, really kind of cool. One, uh, Czechia. Um, yeah, dude. Really, really great tournament from a team in a country, that obviously, that has a great and very rich hockey history. Um, you know, lots of really talented Czech Republican players have played in the NHL, Yarmir Jager, uh, you know, and Dominic Hasek and uh, Sikora, and the list is long. However, uh, this team, I think, was not expected four weeks ago to be though as dominant as they were. And they just muscled their way and fought their way yeah. and amazing goaltending. And that was the biggest Crazy thing. Even in games when they were down, they always found a way to get back into a game, including gold medal where they were down to nothing and took it to overtime. Uh, so fantastic for Czechia, really, really impressive storyline for them. And then the other one was the Swedes who, again, a yeah. team that sort of had some ups and downs throughout the tournament, but really just like a really impressive outfit. And it's exciting Obviously, this tournament uh, in our, you know, in Canada gets the focus is all about Canada and the sort of the dominance of Canada. Often, um, we're back to back, and you know, we've seen them do I think three and four and once even a five peat. But I think it's going to be really important for this tournament to go back to Europe next year. They're going to be in Sweden, uh, in Gothenburg. Like this tournament, I think more so than any other like World Championship for the men or or any of these things. Like this is where you really, I think, 
showcase and give an opportunity for those European players who are going to get opportunities in the NHL. This is a really important tournament for them. And I think that uh, it, it will be nice after, I think, four, almost five years in North America because they were supposed to play in Canada the first time and then the can the tournament was canceled. And then last year, obviously it was, it was in August in, in Edmonton, they went back to back years in Edmonton and then uh, now in, in Halifax and, and Moncton. So it'll be nice for it to be back in Europe, but anyway, last thoughts on world juniors. Yeah, I was really impressed with Czechia. Slovakia had a really great tournament too. Nice to see Germany in the quarters and the American team, although Canada was able to, you know, hold on against the Americans. They had a crazy good team. Well, how about that bronze medal game? You know, up 6-2 and then all of a sudden it's 6-6 and then it's 7-6 with under a minute left and then Sweden ties it again to send it to overtime. I mean, the Americans must have just been thinking, what what does it take us to win a game here? And they obviously pulled it off in overtime, but wild, wild hockey. Good hockey. Yeah. All right, let's leave it there. That's topic two. Topic two this week is brought to us by Busy Bee Vegan Skincare. Busy Bee is an all-natural skincare line dedicated to healthy, vegan, plant-based skincare and overall wellness. They offer a selection of handcrafted body scrubs, butters, and washes that not only make your skin glow, but smell amazing. Their unique all-natural scents include gingerbread, ruby grapefruit, caramel cake, and morning latte. So why not treat your skin to something fresh and all-natural? Head over to shopbusybevegan.com today. And as a special bonus, Busy Bee is offering listeners of this podcast a 15% discount on your first order with the code ORDINARYPODCASTS. Okay, here's a fun one. We're going to try something different. It's the new year. Uh, Obviously, many people, as they enter the new year, have New Year's resolutions things that they goals they want to set for themselves or, or objectives that they lay out as they start the new year. Most of them don't make it past January 30th or whatever, but they try many people try. It's a new beginning. So we're going to make some new year's resolutions, but not for ourselves. No, no, no. We're going to make some new year's resolutions on behalf of some people in sports or some organizations in sports. Um, We have three of them. Elliot isn't able to be here. So I've got two. I think Braden's got one. So we'll have a little hat trick here of New Year's resolutions. I will go first. My first New Year's resolution is for the Mercedes AMG Patronus Formula One team, the whole team. This is your New Year's resolution. Uh You need to resolve to give Lewis Hamilton and George Russell a race car worthy of their talent, their capability, (laughs) and of truly challenging Red Bull. Last year, a dud of a car, not a good car, new, re- new, new uh, regulations. I know they clearly were behind. They clearly made some completely and utterly f- like fatal errors in terms of the planning of that car. Slowly, they clawed back some, 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 you know, d- some developments and some upgrades on the car made it competitive near the end, but it never was what Red Bull had. And it was an easy win for Verstappen because Ferrari is not a legitimate team right now in terms of how they're organized so regardless of how good their car is regardless of how good the drivers are they're going to continually make mistakes mercedes needs to be able to compete with red bull to make formula one uh exciting at the top and this year mercedes needs to resolve to do a better job because last year oh boy frustrating for them so that is my first new year's resolution on behalf of mercedes Braden, who would you like to make a resolution on behalf of Okay, my resolution is for 
for Zion Williamson, I am uh, – the resolution is to stay healthy because this guy proves dominance when he's playing, and he, but he's played four seasons, and he hasn't made it past 114 games. If he can stay healthy, he, he'll, be, he'll be an absolute superstar in this league. Um, but it's it, he just – he has – I think they have – the Pelicans have to look at what the Clippers, what the Raptors did with Kawhi Leonard, because there's just no way he can play 82 games. They have to look at finding a way to help him um, stay healthy. It's it's ridiculous. <laughs> That's a good one. I could talk about the Lakers doing the same thing with Anthony Davis, man. It's like he touches the ground, and and he's out for like a month. It's unreal. All right. Well, we'll we'll send our best uh, wishes to Zion Williamson, and hopefully he can uh, hold up his resolution for the New Year's stay healthy. Here's our last one to complete the hat trick. Ken Holland's New Year's resolution. This is really simple. The Edmonton yeah. Oilers must be in win now mode now, not next year, not three years from now. Ken Holland. You need to resolve that this is the year you go all in. I don't care what draft picks it takes. I don't care what players. If the player isn't wearing 97 or 29 on the back of their jersey, they're a movable asset that should be moving you forward. They trade anybody else to make this team better. You need better defensive depth, especially on the left side. You need some forward depth who can actually put some pucks in the net. Yes, you're going to get Kane back. That's not going to be enough on, on its own. There are two or three pieces right now on this team that are not working. You need to find the pieces to make it work, and you need to do it now. So Ken Holland, your New Year's resolution is that the Edmonton Oilers are in win-now mode immediately. I don't care what draft picks. and Anything is on the table. Everything is on the table. Trade deadline needs to be about this season. There you go. That is our three New Year's resolutions yeah. for 2023. Just to unpack that a little bit, how easy would it be to move a $9.5 million contract? <laughs> Not easy enough. Because we we could shore up a lot of the things that you just mentioned if there was $9.5 million available to the Oilers to or uh, if the nine and a half million dollar defenseman they currently have signed started playing like he's a nine and a half million dollar defenseman yeah well i don't know if he can play 35 minutes a night i don't know i know who can and has been and that's Connor mcdavid who i also think should have a resolution to score 60 goals because he's capable maybe they'll put him on maybe they'll center him on three lines instead of two i do think it's great the the amount of ice time that they're putting him out there uh he's capable and he's able and he will score 60 goals before you know, before uh, probably the end of the month. All right, Braden, thanks for joining me all the way from California. Eh? And uh, have a great um, rest of your, your week. We will be back next week, even more fun. And uh, we'll have to keep both Ken or all, all Ken Holland, Zion Williams, and Mercedes accountable for these resolutions. We want, we, we really want these guys to succeed here on their New Year's resolutions. If, if uh, listening to this show every week isn't your New Year's resolution, hey, how about making it so? Go subscribe. Wherever you get your podcasts, just hit that subscribe button. The newest episode will drop every Monday for you. Easy to find. Look, we're going to make it easy for that to be your New Year's resolution. If you haven't already, also, please go subscribe uh, to our Instagram page. And you can find out more about this show or any of the other shows on the Ordinary Podcasting Network by going to OrdinaryPodcasts.com. On behalf of Braden and Elliot, thanks for listening. 
That was Hattrick. Hattrick is a member of the Ordinary Podcasting Network. It's produced every week by Jordan Dyler Coltman and Braden Dyler Coltman. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thanks for listening. The Ordinary Podcasting Network wishes to acknowledge that the lands on which our conversations take place include Treaty 6 territory, the traditional meeting ground and home for many indigenous peoples, including the Cree, Dene, Soto, Blackfoot, Métis, and the Nakota Sioux peoples, as well as the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, including the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. We acknowledge the many First Nations, Métis, and Inuit whose footsteps have marked these lands for generations. And we extend our appreciation for the opportunity to live, create, and share stories on these territories. The Ordinary Podcasting Network intends to engage in conversations and dialogue, which acknowledge that reconciliation is not a destination, but a journey, and that we remain committed to practicing our craft in a decolonized space.